Hi everyone, this is Julian Palumbo and Spirit with us. Today I've got Josh McDowell's book in front of me, The Resurrection Ah <laughs> The Resurrection Factor. My brain goes ten times faster than my mouth. <laughs> I need to slow down. So last time we were talking about this book and I, I think I called him Josh McDonald. And I'm so sorry for that. Uh, I haven't picked up this book in so many years. It's Josh McDowell, and he is a very well-known Christian figure. And he's written many books, but uh, the one I'm looking at is The Resurrection Factor. And at the time of the writing of this book, which was in the 1980s, Josh McDowell uh, was a professor in a college. Um... Let me see if I can find out which college. No. But anyway, um, at the time of the writing of this book, he was a, he's an instructor in, the, in residence at the Julian Center, uh, a discipleship experience on a rural campus in the mountains near San Diego. Okay, so that's going back quite a ways. But um, it's kind of fascinating. When I open the book, the pages are yellowed. And uh, I opened to chapter one, page one, and it just really grabbed my heart right from the get-go. There's a quote here from someone's suicide note. Someone named Ralph Barton, who was a cartoonist. Amazing. And it reads like this. I've had few difficulties, many friends great successes. I've gone from wife to wife and from house to house, visited great countries of the world, but I'm fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. A suicide note from Ralph Barton. Oh my gosh, I have to fight to hold back the tears on that one. Now this is an not a suicide note, obviously, because he's still alive. But apparently, this is really eye-opening. Back in 1978, June 12th, O.J. Simpson wrote, I sit in my house in Buffalo, and sometimes I get so lonely it's unbelievable. Life has been so good to me. I've got a great wife, good kids, money, my own health, and I'm lonely and bored. I often wondered why so many rich people commit suicide. Money it sure isn't a cure-all. End quote. Wow. Whoa. Interesting. That was in People Magazine in 78. So there's a couple insights into... People can be successful, money, family, children, houses, lands, you name it, and they are empty inside. They're, they're unhappy. They, some of, obviously, like poor Ralph Barton, who, imagine being a cartoonist and having to come up with funny, happy, silly things every day and feeling that empty inside. It just breaks my heart. So these people, as 
Josh McDowell's point is, is that obviously the human nature needs something more than all that. Something more than the world has to offer. Even if you're super successful, there's a hunger and an emptiness in the human heart for more. And I think by now on this podcast, you know what that more is. And um, so I really, this book is fascinating. Um, Josh McDowell is a very super intelligent man, of course being a college uh, university professor. But, and what, at one point, his, his um, students challenged him to, uh, to study and refute uh, Christianity. He writes, My new friends challenged me intellectually to examine the claims that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that taking on hum- human flesh... He lived among real men and women and died on the cross for the sins of mankind. That he was buried and he arose three days later and could change a person's life in the 20th century. So that was his challenge. And he was a real skeptic. He was he put down Christians. He mocked Christians. Reminds me of Paul. And uh, he even says at one point in here, that he thought all Christians were ugly, <laughs> which really cracks me up. And uh, so he um, took up that challenge, obviously. And um, the, the whole book, this book, The Resurrection Factor, does the historical evidence support the resurrection of Jesus Christ? This is an excellent book for anyone of the Jewish faith that does not receive Christ as the Messiah, maybe a good prophet, but not Messiah. Um, This is very scientifically taken apart, well done. It's it's looked at as from a scientific uh, point of view, from a, a legal point of view. If you had to prove this in court, could you do it? Uh, these claims could you prove these claims and it's just awesome it's very interestingly written I mean once you just open it and start reading you don't want to put it down Um, so really there's a key point made right in the beginning chapter five this uh, one of these students that challenged him said that Christianity is not a religion. Religion may be defined as humans trying to work their way to God through good works. I said something very similar in the last podcast. Christianity, on the other hand, is God coming to men and women through Jesus Christ, offering them a relationship with himself which is what he wanted all the way back in the Garden of Eden the, in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. God never changes, remember. He's always wanted the same thing with us. That's why he created mankind in the first place. So this book is highly, I recommend it from me to you. <laughs> 
And um, it just, even though you are already a Christian, uh, and if whether you are or not, and you're you're going through my podcast um, to see if I can uh, make my claim stick, <laughs> well, this book goes into it, and and I did read this several times when I was a new Christian. And it really bolsters your faith from from a side that you don't often see. It not so much from a spiritual side, but from a scientific and a legal side, which is, um, and then of course into the uh, spiritual side, and um, so I, I'm I'm sorry, but I'm flipping through the book itself. And uh, as once you get through all the science and all the legal and, and it's all piling up in favor of Christianity, which has become a bad word these days. And I'm really sorry for that because so many Christians that love the Lord with all their heart, including me, you're afraid to say that you're a Christian because of all the bad connotations it's got in today's society. So... We are looking for other ways to describe that the fact that we are people that are radically in love with Jesus Christ and want to follow him. I know Scott Hensler calls himself a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He even said, I don't want to label myself Christian because people misconstrue that so many different ways. And they immediately look down on you. Um... For one reason or another but I have to agree with him um, so and at any rate uh, Christianity really is something to be proud of no matter what you call it um, it is the most amazing thing we humans have in our lives on this planet earth and one of the things that um, I'm just I don't even know what I'm, I'm open to page 118 just randomly here. My eyes fell on this, like, after you prove everything out, let's just face it. He says, it works. I've, and Josh writes, I've come to one conclusion. A relationship with Jesus Christ changes lives, period. You can laugh at Christianity. You can mock and ridicule it, but it works. It changes lives. If you trust Christ, start watching your attitudes and actions because Jesus Christ is in the business of changing lives. Hallelujah. And it's personal. It's personal for every man and woman. It's personal. So you have your own personal relationship with this infinite living God. And it's really one-on-one. So with that, I'm going to put this book down and go into our next lesson from Derek Prince. I'm laying this uh, foundation for new Christians. And um, the book itself is just titled Self-Study Bible Course. So if you're looking for it on Amazon, um, that's the name of the book, self study Bible course by Derek Prince, but it is one that's set up to lay the foundation for 
anyone who's not familiar with with Christianity, <laughs> there's that word again. I almost it, I hesitate to say it. Uh, it's crazy, but yeah, if you need to fill in some holes in your foundation, this is a great way to do it. So if you can get a copy of this book on Amazon used, I don't know if it's still in print or from um, Derek Prince's own website. Um, he has a foundation and there are people carrying on his work and publishing his books online. It's easily found. So today we're talking about water baptism. Do you really need to do that if you're a new believer and why and why should you do it? All right. Well, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. In other words, first believe, then be baptized. So it's, I'm just going to read this from the book. It says, believing in Christ produces an inward change in our hearts. Being baptized in water is an outward act of obedience to God. By it, we testify, we demonstrate that the change has taken place on the inside in our hearts. Baptism makes us one with Christ in his burial and in his resurrection. We are separated from the old life of sin and defeat, and we come out of that water to lead a new life life of righteousness and victory. This is made possible by God's power in us. So um, let's look at a couple points here. We don't have to cover every single point, but we're going to try. <laughs> what reason did Jesus himself give for being baptized in Matthew 3.15? Well, he said, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Remember that he himself submitted to baptism, and he certainly didn't need to, did he? But he did it to, to establish a, an example for us to follow. And how did the Holy Spirit show that he was pleased with the baptism of Jesus? Does anyone remember that famous scene? Well, the Holy Spirit came down on him, on Jesus like a dove and alighted upon him. And that's where we get the famous picture of the Holy Spirit looking like a dove. And it's been that way ever since, right? And it's a very good depiction of him, of his, his sweet, calm, beautiful, peaceful nature. He is the spirit of the living God. He is the spirit of Jesus Christ. He is the third person in the Trinity. And um, what did the God the Father say about Jesus when he was baptized? Well, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, this is one of the rare times that people heard the voice of the Heavenly Father talking out loud into the earth. But he did say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right away, what does that say to me? People say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, yes, he did in many places in, in scripture. And this is God the Father claiming him as his beloved son. 
which also puts him on a par with God because he is God. And um, so John the Bap- John's baptism, if you remember, John was called to go ahead and forge the way and pave a way for Jesus to come behind him. He was he was laying the foundation and in with the people of that time. He preached a baptism of repentance with confession of sin, and that's in Mark chapter one. But Jesus had no sins to confess or repent of. Rather, by being baptized, Jesus showed obedience to the will of God. He was teaching us. By doing this, he set an example for us, and Jesus gave this reason, it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So the word um, thus, actually Jesus said, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So thus refers to Jesus' perfect example of baptism, going down into and coming up out of the water. It is fitting refers to his perfect example of obedience for all sincere believers to follow. To fulfill all righteousness gives the perfect reason for it, to complete all righteousness. So first the Christian's made righteous through his faith in Christ, and then he completes the inward righteousness of faith by an outward act of obedience, being baptized. Does the baptism save you? I don't believe it does. No. But should you seek as a new Christian to be baptized? Yes, you should. Now, if if it was me <laughs> and I didn't have a church, I didn't have a, a Christian family, and I would, and I knew about this, I would try to do it on my own. I don't know, in a pool, in a bathtub. I would just do it and say, Lord, I don't have anybody to do it in front of. I don't have anyone to baptize me, but I'm just going to do it myself. And what my church, my I used to go to a Baptist church for 15 years. And they were hardcore, Bible-based. And boy, oh boy, did they know their Bible. And that's where I got such a great foundation in, in God's word. And it I just be, I just fell in love with God's word in that church. And they were a great church. And um, they were an independent Baptist church. And they did do baptism, I guess about once a month. And <clears throat> and they had a Baptist baptistry. Anyway, they had the, the tub. <laughs> Right underneath the um, the main uh, altar where the pulpit was and the floor was removable and you could move the pulpit, move the, take up the floor and hello, there was a pool big enough to, to stand in and baptize people in and the whole church could watch and celebrate and it was like a party. It was like a celebration. And, and the new Christians, the newly saved people in the church would put on like, a, I think it was like a navy blue robe, almost like the kind you get, you graduate in. 
<clears throat> and you would, um, the pastor would stand in there and then he would one by one take you in the pool and he would say, he would um, hold the back of your head and you would hold your nose and he would guide you and dip you back in the water and then pull you right back up, just enough to cover your face and then come right back up. And he would say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. As he was dipping you back and lifting you up, he would say that. And uh, it would you don't know what a blessing it is until you do it. That's And that's what everyone kept telling me, like, Oh, you know, because a lot of people, including, you know, women especially, they don't want to get dunked in the water in front of everybody they know. And um, you kind of shy away from it and get all wet and just the whole thing. It's like, oh, this is kind of inconvenient. But, and I know other churches that do it like mainly in in the warm weather and they'll do it in a pool, local pool, which actually is a good, I've attended those too. And that it's always... There's a spirit of rejoicing there that you can't put into words. It's like a spiritual party. It's like a slice, a little slice of heaven, what heaven's going to be like. Just you feel so connected with everybody. You feel so full of rejoicing and joy. You can't explain it. You feel so um, connected to the family of Christ and to Jesus and to to all your brothers and sisters. It's just the best experience. And um, God just blesses that step of obedience to where you're like, what was I thinking of not ever not doing this? Yes, do it. And then if you do it on your own or you do it in your backyard with somebody you know or whatever you do, if when you do get a chance to do it in a congregation that loves the Lord and loves his word, do it again. There's just to reinstate before the world that you love Jesus Christ radically with all your heart and you want to obey him if you get that chance. And in this day and age, I know it's hard because we're in the end times and things are getting darker. Thing, churches are falling away and we're having to be as Christians it's going to get harder for us. Um, this is August the 12th, I believe, um, 2019. And the world is getting darker by the minute. And Christianity, I believe, is about to get persecuted in the United States as much as it is persecuted in other countries. And we may have to go underground. We may have to uh, hide our Bibles. Um, I don't know. But if you feel led to collect Bibles, I would do so. I'm doing it. I'm stashing Bibles away. Because I know the time will come when they are looked down upon. And they may even be um, banned. So maybe the ones you have will be the only ones you'll ever be able to get easily. And there may come a time when you need to give a new Christian that you lead to the Lord. You may need to give them a Bible. And uh, yeah, it's um, already the, the sacred scriptures are frowned upon. So that's something to think about. Okay. 
So um, you obey the Lord as best you can in the circumstances you're in, and he will bless you for that. Um, of course he will. So moving on today, I don't want to go too long. Now, before being baptized, a person should fulfill the following three conditions. You ought to understand the nature and the reason for baptism, which is what we're doing now. You should re be repentant of all your sin, which I would imagine you did when you accepted Jesus as your Lord. But if you did it out of pure love and you kind of like I did, I kind of glossed over the repentance of my sins part. And then when I, when I finally kind of woke up to that and the Holy Spirit gently brought that to mind, of course I repented of my sins and, and uh, was very happy to do that and very sad about ever having played a part in, in, bring, in making my Savior sad. And, um, but he loves us regardless of whatever sin we've done if we repent turn, that means turn 180 degrees around the other way and hate the sin and agree with God about it and number three you should believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God you have to accept him for who he really is he's not a good prophet he's the son of God and he is God. So Jesus told his disciples that baptism was to be for all the nations. No nation was to be left out. To this end, the New Testament shows that all new converts were always baptized without delay. In most cases, this took place on the actual day that they accepted Christ in a conversion. Never was there a long delay between conversion and baptism. There's no reason this pattern should not be followed now as it was in the early church. By baptism, Christians openly join themselves with Christ in his burial and resurrection. After baptism, they're required to lead new lives of righteousness. New life is made possible by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. So I think we're going to stop there today. And I really appreciate you joining me, and I look forward to next time on Spirit With Us.